doing something uh, a little bit different today in the sense that we're starting a series, but it's not going to be a week-to-week kind of series. It's a every-once-in-a-while kind of series. And this is sort of to address uh, what we felt like was a need to want to provide more opportunities for um, teaching on the Holy Spirit. And so um, what we're going to do is this thing called a Holy Spirit workshop. And so periodically, let's just say once a quarter, uh, and today was obviously the perfect day to start this, seeing as how it's Pentecost, then uh, we wanted to just do a teaching on some aspect of the Holy Spirit and then provide some ministry time. Uh, and, we're, and the teaching is also going to be a little bit different. We're going to do it in uh, kind of tag team format. I'm going to cover the sort of the biblical historical basis for this thing called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is really what Pentecost is about. And then John's going to come up and he's going to talk about more of the practical everyday aspects of that. Okay. And then at the end, Chip will come up and we're going to do a ministry time. Uh, and we'll, I'm not going to say what that's going to look like because it'll be whatever <laughs> the Spirit's leading him to have. Um, but before we start, I wanted to just spend a couple of moments talking about how to get the most from this message and really from this entire series, okay? And in, in Mark chapter 10, we find the disciples are trying to prevent some children, some parents have brought children to Jesus, and uh, the disciples are trying to shoo them away, keep them away from Jesus. And what Jesus says to them, and sort of in the way of a mild rebuke, I, I would expect, was he said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I'm going to read verse 15 again. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, emphasis mine, shall not enter it. Now here's why I think that's important and relevant to us today in this time and, and for this message. And a lot of this was taken from uh, uh, an author named Brennan Manning, uh, who uh, has written a lot about grace and the love of God and, and our need to accept it and the fact that we are accepted just as we are. But one of the things that Manning says is that there's this wonderful open-mindedness about children, and they have this insatiable desire to learn from life. And that an open attitude is like an open door. It's a welcoming disposition toward anything that's new and different. Now, I see this every time I'm around my granddaughters, right? They're not very old, three, two, and one. And, uh, and you've probably seen this, too, if you've had children and, uh, or grandchildren. They're into everything, right? They want to they touch it. They want to hear it. They want to sometimes taste it. Uh, which is not always a good thing, depending on what they're dealing with. But they're just insatiably curious about life, right? Everything is new and different. And see, without an open attitude like that, our minds sort of gradually close off to new ideas, to some unprofitable commitment that doesn't really benefit us, and to the surprises of the Holy Spirit. 
But the thing is, if we will maintain the open-mindedness of children, we challenge the fixed ideas and the established structures, including ones of our own making. See, if we'll do that, then we won't find demons in those with whom we disagree. And we won't cozy up to people who only mouth our jargon. If we're open, then we rarely will resort to either or. Either creation or evolution, either liberty or law, either sacred or secular, either Beethoven or Katy Perry. We focus on both and, right? Fully aware that God's truth cannot be imprisoned in a small definition. Now, open-mindedness doesn't accept everything just indiscriminately, right? Marxism and capitalism, Christianity and atheism, love and lust, champagne and vinegar. It does not absorb all propositions equally just like a sponge, nor is it as soft as a sponge. But open-mindedness realizes that reality, truth, and the things of the spirit are very, very open-ended, okay? And so that's sort of the prelude to what we're going to talk about today. Now, I think I kind of organized my slides a little weird. This is what we're talking about, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and so this is the biblical historical view. And there's my Jesus quote, which... We don't need to see right now. So the way I organized this was in thinking about this message, I feel like there's a set of questions that people typically will ask when you start to talk about things of the Spirit. And so I felt like the best way to sort of introduce this is by presenting some of those questions and then answering the questions. And this is going to be brief, right? I'm not going to do a full, you know, blown sermon, or neither is John. We're going to try to combine that and together have one full sermon. So I'll, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on some of these things, but know that there are lots of resources that you can go to. Uh, if you are curious about something, want to learn more, any of us on staff would be happy to direct you uh, to some things that you could read to learn more about this if it's unfamiliar. So first of all, what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Well, it's a term that's used by Christians all around the world today. Catholics, Protestants, anybody who's an Orthodox believer, to more or less refer to an experience of the Holy Spirit breaking into their lives in a new and powerful way. The way that it happened to those early Christians on the day of Pentecost, right? And we saw that video at the very beginning, uh, stories from Acts chapter 2, where Jesus tells the disciples to go and wait. They go to wait. The Holy Spirit comes in this very unusual way right? Sound of a mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's really, that was the first experience of this. Now, different Christians are going to define it differently, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit um, can really be described as this outpouring of the Holy Spirit into one's life that brings about this profound revelation of the love of God the Father, the Lordship of Jesus and the power of the Spirit and the gifts that the Spirit brings. It's, it's this immersion in the Holy Spirit that causes the spiritual gifts to spring forth in a person's life and to be activated for the spread of the gospel. Okay, And I use the word immersion intentionally because that's what baptism means. 
baptism in the original is baptizo, which means to immerse, right? And that could be, it could be, it was used um, at the time also to describe the dyeing of cloth, right? So if you want to change the color of cloth, you immerse it in the dye, and when it comes out, it's different, all right? Second, what's the purpose of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, first and foremost, the primary purpose is evangelism. This is a consistent theme that we find in the Acts of the Apostles. Beginning in Acts 2.14, right after this experience at Pentecost, Peter preaches the good news about Jesus and ends up baptizing 3,000 people. I would love to baptize 30 people at one time. <laughs> 3,000 sort of is just, it's like the Grand Canyon. It's just kind of beyond me at this point. There's another example in Acts 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 31, and that which says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So, so there you have evangelism again. And so throughout the rest of the Acts of the Apostles, we find many other examples of the Apostles operating in the power that they received on Pentecost performing signs and wonders, and then leading that person to Jesus. And that's an important distinction, right? We don't get signs and wonders just to feel good or to be all puffed up about ourselves and go, wow, well, I can do that. No, it's about leading someone to Jesus. It's expressing the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to the point that that person goes, wow, what is that? Tell me more. All right. Is there a difference between being baptized in, being filled with, and receiving the Holy Spirit? And my answer to that is sometimes. <laughs> this, is, this tends to get into some, some deep theological waters here, and we're not going to go there. But I did try to sort this out when I was working on this message, but I ended up just confusing myself. So I'm not going to do the same to you. The problem is that these terms are sometimes used synonymously in the Acts of the Apostles. Right? And so it's very difficult to sort of distinguish if one means something different than the other, and I don't believe they necessarily do. I think it's the same in our language, where you could say the same thing using several different words to convey the same meaning. Um, what I do believe, though, is that Scripture's clear in this. There are two primary encounters with the Holy Spirit, right? The first occurs when someone accepts Jesus, and his forgiveness, and he gives, and, and they give control of their lives to him. And so, as Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 3 through 7, such people are born again spiritually. All right? And so, in that moment, God's Spirit has come to live within them to transform their lives, to redevelop their character, and to guide them into God's purpose. Okay, so, if you are a believer, if you have done that, if you have given your life to Jesus, then you have, you've had that first experience of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, in addition to Jesus' words to Nicodemus, another example of this in Scripture comes from John 20, uh, verses 19 and 22, and that says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, 
Even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to the disciples in this particular instance, this was after he was raised from the dead, but before the day of Pentecost, I believe that he wasn't baptizing them in the Spirit the way they would be a little bit later on. Rather, I think this was the first time the disciples actually received the spiritually renewing presence of the Holy Spirit the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So this was their experience. See, there was no language like there is today where it says, well, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus and give your life to him, that wasn't part of the vernacular at that point in time. And so this was their born-again experience. Jesus breathes new life into them just as God the Father had breathed life into Adam. Okay? Now, so that's the first experience. The second experience typically comes at a later time, and it typically comes as a result of prayer, either by the person or someone else. And so often the person that's praying for someone to have this second experience will lay hands on them, right? And so Acts 2, 1 through 4, describes that second experience. And this was the scripture that we saw at the very beginning. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then Acts 8, uh, verses 14 through 17, gives us another example of this same phenomenon. Now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So do you see that there's a, there's a distinction here? Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So these were people who were Christians who'd had that initial experience, but this, they had not yet had the second experience. Okay. I know I'm kind of rushing through this, but like I said, there's a lot of things, we, you know, resources that can be recommended if you want to pursue this more. All right. Are there only these two encounters with the Holy Spirit? Well, I would say that the Bible teaches that there may be new or fresh fillings with the Holy Spirit after the Christian has been baptized in the Spirit. Where does it say that? Well, after Peter and John healed the man at the gate beautiful, which was in Acts 3, and then they continued to preach about Jesus, the religious authorities had them arrested, right? And then <clears throat> later brought them for questioning. Now, after they questioned them, they warned them to stop preaching about Jesus and let them go. And so then Acts 4.31 says this, and when they had prayed, and this is after they've gone back to be with the friends that were praying for them, so they've rejoined their group. It says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. All right, Peter and John were very much in that upper room on the day of Pentecost, right? 
And they'd also, they were also in the room with Jesus when he breathed on them. So they had the first two. And yet here it says again that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's, it's, an, it's an example of that happening to them again. All right. <clears throat> Bill Johnson likes to say, say that we leak the Holy Spirit when we go into places. Right. And so if we leak, then there must be a need to be filled up again. All right. And Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. Do, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual strong, songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what's important about this is that the Greek phrase that's translated, be filled, and I won't get into the whole English definition of the tenses and all of that and the mood and so forth. But it does not refer to the filling of the Spirit as a one-time, once-for-all experience, but rather what it conveys is an ongoing way of life involving repeatedly being filled. All right? So being filled with the Spirit is more than a one-time experience. It's an ongoing aspect of Christianity and of Christian life and it enhances one's ability to recognize and respond to the Holy Spirit's guidance. <coughs> okay, next question. Is there evidence of Holy Spirit baptism in church history beyond what the Bible talks about? That's what I'm referring to here. Yes, and I'm not going to go through all, all of it. I'm just going to say that if you read the works of the early church fathers, Justin Martyr, Hermas, Tertullian, Origen, Cyprian, Irenaeus, and Augustine, they all talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then you can look at the various revivals that have occurred throughout history. The first and the second Great Awakening, the Scottish Presbyterian Revival, the Holiness Revival, the Pentecostal Revival, the Baptist Revival in Shantung Province in North China, the Latter Rain Revival, the Healing Revival, the Charismatic Removal, the Renewal, the Jesus movement and the third wave movement, those were all revivals where the Holy Spirit's presence became very well, very prominent. And then finally, you could also read the works about, uh, from John Wesley, George Whitfield, and uh, Finney, uh, who all talk about the same thing. And then finally, how does one receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I'll end here. There's no specific formula to it. Um, there's no way to guarantee that it happens. But there are some helpful patterns that you can follow as you pray and prepare to receive this, all right? First of all, just relax. <coughs> Don't get all stressed out about it. Um, it's not always an immediate experience. <coughs> So if you don't feel or sense that something's happening to you right away, don't worry about it. Just chill, all right? Worship God. This baptism is a means of honoring God. Um, <clears throat> it's really not about what you get from him. It's about what he gives to you. And so if you turn your complete attention to Jesus and you create that atmosphere of worship and thanksgiving, and you express that out loud, not just mentally in your mind, but actually physically, okay? We want to seek the giver and not the gift. That's important. 
right? We're not in this for just what we can get from God. We're actually seeking God, and we're seeking a means to be closer to Him. Um, now, speaking in tongues. This is one... Classic Pentecostalism says that that is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't agree with that. I, and this comes from personal experience, not just obstinacy. <laughs> um, I, I feel like I had the baptism of the Holy Spirit for a long time before I actually was able to speak in tongues. That happened as a separate experience for me. So that's the, why I base this uh, on that. Now, but that doesn't mean that it won't happen either. So uh, if you wish to speak in tongues, then you have to try speaking, okay? You can't... My thought in this process was, well, if I just stand there, that God will suddenly start... These words will just start erupting from my mouth. Well, it doesn't work that way, folks. <laughs> You have to actually engage all the mechanisms of speech in order to be able to speak in tongues. And so if you, if you will at least try and start trying to say something, then the rest will flow, okay? But you have to actually engage your vocal cords and your tongue and your mouth and all those mechanisms of speech if you want to do this, all right? And don't be afraid. No one's going to think you're weird. I mean, speaking in tongues is kind of unintelligible by most of us anyway. Rich might know what you're saying because he's demonstrated that gift on other occasions. But I probably will not unless all of a sudden God gives me that gift. And know that whatever you're saying, you're praising God. So why would you be afraid to speak that out? All right. And finally, just trust. Just trust that you're getting what you asked for. And with that, I will turn it over to John and let him cover the second part of this. Okay. <laughs> I think I had it on, but it was on mute. You don't have to be bright to do this job, let me tell you. So what I'm going to talk about today is the practical part of working with the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm trying technology today, which I have not tried before, so this might get interesting. But in practical, um, what I want to do is, is take a look at why we would want to partner with the Holy Spirit and what the significance is for that. Now, to, to start off, I need to do a little bit of background. Um, and we're going to go back to Genesis, the first chapter. And as you all know, that's this, this is creation. 
And this is God creates the heavens and the earth, and he works on it for five days, and on the sixth day he creates Adam. Now, the way he created Adam was unique. Everything else he spoke into existence, and the Bible gives us nothing else but that. But with Adam, he actually comes down, and from the dirt of the earth, he forms Adam with his hands and breathes into him the breath of life. That's got to be significant, and I'm going to leave it to you to figure out why that's significant. But Adam is unique. When Eve came into being, Adam didn't form Eve from the dust of the earth and put the breath of life in her. He formed Eve from Adam. That, too, has to be significant. Then Adam gives, I mean, God gives to Adam the authority to govern the earth and leaves him with one rule. Do not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree that we now know is the knowledge of good and evil. And then we know the serpent comes in, and the serpent tamps Eve. We know that well, there's no biblical record of God telling Eve not to eat of that tree, so Adam must have, because Eve says we're not supposed to eat of this tree. And she says, we'll die, and the, the devil does what the devil does. He causes doubt in who God is and doubt in who you are. He says, you will not surely die. He says, for if you eat this, you will become like God. Well, wasn't she already like God? Weren't they made in the image? And didn't they have the authority to rule the world at that point? Hadn't God given it to them? So I want you to look at something here. They've already eaten the fruit. And the Bible's pretty clear about God comes walking in the garden during the cool of the day as he always has. So did God withdraw from Adam and Eve at that point? And the answer is no. He had not withdrawn. He asks Adam where you are, and Adam says, well, we were naked and ashamed, so we hid. God asks him what they did. Did you eat of the fruit? Now, what was the next thing that Adam did? Pardon? Okay, I hear blame to you, but that's the second thing he did. If you read it, it says he's talking to God. The woman you gave me. The first thing he does is he blames God. The second thing he does is he blames Eve. She made me do it. Now, wait a minute. Here's Adam. Given authority to rule the world by God, and he says, she made me do it. Who's the ruler? At that point, Adam gave authority to rule the world to Eve. He said, she made me do it. He put himself under her authority. Does that make sense? Now, God, being a God and wanting to deal with the leader, does not speak to Adam again right there. He speaks to Eve. And to Eve, he says, what's this you have done? And what does Eve do? Does she take the responsibility for what she's done and stand in her authority, or does she give it away? And who does she give it to? 
the enemy, right? By saying, he made me do it. It's the same thing. It's abdicating the responsibility for your authority and putting yourself under somebody else. Does that make sense? Okay. So, here we are, brand new earth, brand new creation, and who is the legitimate authority on the earth after Eve abdicates? Satan. This is why Satan can tell Jesus about 4,000 years later when he's tempting him the devil, sorry, he's tempting him in the desert. Satan can say, all these kingdoms of the world are mine and I can do with them what I want. I will give them to you if you bow down and worship me. You notice Jesus did not contradict Satan there. Satan was legitimate ruler of the world. So, flash forward about 4,000 years and Jesus comes on the scene. Forgive me, the technology is a little slower than I am. So Satan is the uh, dominant ruler for about 4,000 years, and Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus, in John 3.8, says, I have come to undo the works of the enemy. Now think about that for a minute. Satan is legitimate authority and power on the world, and Jesus says, I have come to undo you. That's not like a declaration of war. Exactly. So, what does Jesus mean when he says this? And the Bible's pretty clear. He declares war, but he lets us know that, and this is Ephesians 6.12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Note that, unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So who is our war against? Is it against any other human being? No. How often have we made that mistake and looked at another human being and felt that's our enemy? If we feel that, let me caution you, that is not the heart of the Father, that is the heart of the enemy we're representing. We need to be very careful. God loves every one of his children, and we need to love every one of his children. It doesn't matter what their behavior is. It doesn't matter the level of deception they're in from the enemy, because we've all been deceived by the enemy. The battle is in, in the spiritual realm. And we, being physical beings, how do we deal in the spiritual realm? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. It is the only weapon we have that we can use against the evil spirits here on earth and they're here on earth. Good news is they no longer have authority. Jesus made that clear after the resurrection. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go therefore. Remember that? Something that I find incredibly encouraging is Jesus never says he gives us authority. He has not given it to us, so we cannot give it back to the enemy. He says, go and I will be with you. 
so we do not have to be afraid of blowing it and putting humanity in the darkness again. Okay, got that? We can step out safely in faith. A couple other things Jesus said. In John 20, 21, Jesus defines the role of the church when he states, as the Father sent me, I send you. How was Jesus equipped when he came to earth? What tools did he have? What was his mission statement? What was he sent here to do? And if Jesus meant this, and I'm, he did, or wouldn't be there, as he was sent, we are sent. Let's see, the next one is the signs and wonders. And people get confused on this one. Jeff mentioned this briefly, but when you're looking at what was said to an audience, language is filtered through a cultural filter. The things they hold true are the things that can be spoken to. In the day of Jesus, everyone believed in the supernatural. There was no question about the existence of spirits, whether good or bad. In our world today, we have been trained not to believe in the existence of the supernatural. But if you have an enemy, does he cease to exist just because you don't acknowledge him? Good. Keep that in mind. The enemy's strongest tactic in the world today, or one of the strongest tactics, is to get us to forget about the fact that he exists. He wants to do things in the background. He wants me to think, and I'll pick on Jeff, if we have a difference, he wants me to think that my issue is with Jeff. And if Jeff, and I, if Jeff has a difference with me, he wants Jeff to think the issue's with me. Now that's divisive in the body, isn't it? Does God bring division? Where do you think that's coming from? If we acknowledge the fact that there was an enemy who does want, does not want humanity united, we're going to pick on other people, we're going to look to other people for the sources of our problems. It's not other people. It's a spiritual realm that hates us. We have a kingdom of light that loves us, and we have a kingdom of darkness that hates us. Now the Bible says something about seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given to you or be credited to you. And I don't take that as if I get the kingdom of God right, I'm going to have a bazillion dollars. But if I have the kingdom of God right, if I live in the presence of the Spirit, then I will have the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, patience, joy, I forget all of it. Self-discipline is one of them. Let's see, I, I know I looked it up on my phone a minute ago. Uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you are feeling any of those slip away, the enemy's after you, Okay? When we feel those slip away, we need to go to God, we need to go to Jesus, we need to go to the Spirit and pray. And we need to get centered on God again so that that is what flows out of us because that is the heart of the Father. Now, there's a lot of background there. 
What does that mean for us as Christians? Well, the Great Commission still applies. Satan no longer has authority, but he has power. He and his minions are still out there, and they're still attacking us. And we, the church, the vehicle that was assigned the continuance of the work of Jesus, we're still that chosen vehicle, and it is up to us to confront and combat the works of darkness today wherever we see it. That's the job of the church. It is not our job to bring judgment. It is not our job to bring division. It's our job to stay united in the love of Christ and to bring the kingdom of light to bear. The last thing I'm going to say is Jesus felt that this was very, very important. He had been with the 12, or the 11 at this point at Pentecost, because Judas was gone. He had been with them pretty much full-time for three, three and a half years. And yet he told them, do not leave Jerusalem until you have the gift of the Father, until you have the Holy Spirit. He says, and then you can be my witnesses. If Jesus felt the 12 that had been with him and had been sent out, you remember this was at uh, Luke 10, I think? He sends the 12 out and they come back and report about the evil spirits submitting to the name of Jesus and how, how well they did and everyone they healed. If they've gone through this and Jesus still tells them, you cannot represent me without the Holy Spirit, that's got to be significant. So, as the church, if we wish to represent Jesus, to continue the work that he started, we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. That's how significant this really is. The enemy wants us to believe that we are autonomous in ourselves and we don't need this because when we believe that, he can't, we're not a threat to him. There's nothing we can do. But when we believe who God says we are and believe that the spirit placed in us is greater than that which is in the world and we bring that to bear, the enemy cannot stand against us. Does that make sense? So we have a choice to make. Are we going to partner with the Holy Spirit or are we going to try to do this on, us own, on our own? And on our own, we cannot move or defeat Satan, but with the Holy Spirit, we cannot lose. Remember what 1 Corinthians uh, 4.20 said. I believe it's 1 Corinthians 4.20. Jeff shaking his head. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. We cannot represent Jesus properly without the power of the Spirit, for that is the only thing that can trump Satan. We get that? What's the power of the Spirit do for us? Think of all the things Jesus did. We can use it to undo sickness, sicknesses of the enemy. We can use it to undo division, division of is of the enemy. We can un use it to undo deception, deception is of the enemy. And any time you do not thoroughly believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and God, you are under deception of the enemy. That make sense? We're, we've all been there. We all are still partially there. We all need each other to get us out of there. 
but this gift is not for the church. This gift is for those out there that don't even know about it. Jesus came for a world that had no idea what the Spirit was like and no longer remembered the power and authority of God. And we are to continue that outside the church. And that's really all I have. Chip? Thank you. You can move. Um, yeah, never mind. Nick, you can play that whenever you want. Everybody, I am fully aware of what time it is. But if you can chill. You can stop looking at your phones for a minute or your watches. If you wear a watch. Do people wear watches? We have to want this more than we want Cracker Barrel. <laughs> we have to want this more than we want to do our target run after church. The evidence of the Holy Spirit is power and fire. So we're going to invite him. We're going to invite Jesus first because he's the baptizer. Again, some people may, you may feel as, as we move into this moment, tingling on your body, electricity. You may feel a stillness. You may feel something welling up in your chest, in your stomach. You may, you may have visions. You may have, you know, there's all types of manifestations. There's not an automatic, you know, here's what has to happen. What we're going to do is I'm going to invite Pastor Jeff and Pastor John to come kind of stand over here because in the Bible there's multiple occasions of people who are filled with that Holy Spirit that lay hands on you and pray and then the person receives the Holy Spirit and is filled with the Spirit. So we're going to do it that way. I think we're going to do it that way. That's what I'm sensing. So if y'all want to come up. If everybody can stand. If you want to maybe go over. Yes, it was, is he in here? Oh, yeah, Andre is. I thought you were with kids. Oh, Pastor Andre can come as well and lay hands. But first, would you just open yourself up right now, clear your mind. Maybe lift your hands, open your heart. I'm going to pray in, in English. Then I'm going to pray in the Spirit. And just so some of you I know will say, well, Chip, you can't pray in tongues without interpretation. That's, that's in the Bible. That is in the Bible. But it's also in the Bible that when we pray in tongues, there's a tongues that's a prayer language that we all can receive that we are praying specifically to God. If I was speaking in tongues to you as a prophecy, I would need an interpreter. But if I'm praying in the Spirit, I do not need one. If you would like to find out more about that, come find me. I'll show it to you in the Bible. Right now, I am going to ask that anybody who prays in the Spirit would begin to do so out loud. And if you feel led and you want to be filled with the Spirit, come forward. Someone will lay hands on you, and we will pray for you. Or you can at your seat if, if that's what you really feel. Like. But I really just feel if you really want this or you want a fresh infilling, 
we want to pray for you. Come, Holy Spirit. you're praying, as you're asking him to feel you, you may begin to, to feel something. If you feel that, you feel that manifestation, don't fight it, don't question it, just go with it. Whether it's just a stillness, a peace, a calm, whether it's a shaking, whether it's a tingling, whether it's just a, a anything, just go with it. Lean into him in this moment. Lean into him in this moment. you're hitting a wall, we're more than glad to pray for you. Oh, I feel him in here. Come Holy Spirit. More. Come on church, if you, ha if you have the Holy Spirit, keep praying, keep pressing. Just receive, just receive, just receive. Just receive. Just receive. More, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. Increase your presence, Holy Spirit. Increase your presence, Holy Spirit.
just receive. You might need a fresh and filling this morning. Thank you, Lord. Fire in Jesus' name. More fire, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. <laughs> Easy. More, Lord. More, Lord. Hallelujah. The presence of the Lord is in this place. Glory to God. 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 Shekeramase. Wow. More, Lord. Let your oil flow, Holy Spirit. Like a mighty rushing wind come through, Lord. John, if you just want to continue, and Pastor Jeff, just kind of, I just kind of sense a sweeping. the lepers. We will heal the sick. We will raise the dead. We will cast out the enemy. In Jesus' name, any demonic force in this room trying to hinder this moment, we bind their powers and cast them out in Jesus' name. If anybody under the sound of my voice is under demonic influence and it is binding them from receiving, I break it off right now in Jesus' name. By the blood of Jesus, Lord, your son Jesus said, this is the promise, and you keep your promises. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. Begin to sing in the spirit if you can. You don't even have to be able to sing. It's all right. If you came in here with any physical issue, shoulder pain, leg pain, I want you to start to check it and see if the Lord is touching it or healing it. 
Thank you, Lord. You're worthy, God. You're worthy, O Lord. You're worthy, O Lord. You're worthy, O God. You're worthy, Lord. Oh, Shananamasetarabashiki. Thank you, Jesus. Don't fight it. Don't fight him. Don't fight him. Don't fight him. Don't fight him. Let the spirit move. Let the spirit move. So worthy. same Holy Spirit that you're receiving, that you're feeling. That's the same exact power that raised Jesus from the dead. I need you to fathom that. I need you to understand that. The same power that resurrected our Lord, the same Holy Spirit is in you now. Is in you now. So next time you come across someone who's sick, next time you come across someone who's hurt, who's mentally, emotionally, physically, lay your hands on them and use that power because that is the evidence. And you say, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed, be made whole, whole and have faith that it's done. Would you stand with me so I can dismiss you? And of course, if you want to hang back, you always are welcome to. Everybody that feels like they received something from the Lord today or they're still waiting, would you lift your hands just as we pray out? Just as we pray out. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus who is the baptizer. And we thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that on this Pentecost Sunday, thousands of years later, you are still baptizing your church in power. We thank you that you are still sending us out to undo the works of the enemy. We thank you that you are using us to prepare your bride for your return, Lord. So Jesus, I pray for increase of spiritual power, increase of presence, increase of fellowship with you over every person today who is in this room. Father, as we leave here, let us leave changed. Let us leave marked. 
Let us leave knowing that we are walking in power. We are walking with authority and that every attack of the enemy, every circumstance, every sickness, every challenge has to bow at the power that is within us that came from you. Because you are not raising up a generation or a group of Sunday morning churchgoers. Lord, you're raising up people to build a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And you are our king, Jesus. And we raise you. And with your Holy Spirit, we worship you. So thank you today for every person who received. And if you did receive something today, please let us know. We love to hear what God's doing in our church so we can share it so other people can be encouraged to know if he did it for you, he can do it for them. But thank you, Jesus. Keep us safe as we leave here. Use us. Help us to hear your voice clearly and partner with you. And every person in the room who believes Jesus is Lord said, Amen. God bless you. Give Jesus praise.